Hello and welcome to the Impact Academy podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Norman. April is Autism Acceptance Month, which I thought would be a great opportunity to learn more about a business right here in Egan that works with individuals living with autism. I sat down with Camille and Paige, the owners of Minnesota Behavioral Specialists. They share their stories and expertise and backgrounds uh, about how they're helping individuals with autism live better lives. I thought it was a very informational podcast. I hope you guys enjoy. So tune in for some great advice and insights. My name is Kyle Norman. And I'm here to make an impact on your fitness, your nutrition, your mindset, and your life. This is the Impact Academy Podcast. All right, guys, welcome to episode 15 of the Impact Academy Podcast. I am on location, which for me is just down the street in Egan at Minnesota Behavior Specialist. I'm sitting down here with the owners, Camille and Paige. So thanks for letting me come in and crash your party in here. Um, So April, Autism Awareness Month, correct? So you guys work with um, autistic children and in their homes, but I'm not going to try to describe what you do. That's your guys' job. So, but before we kind of get started here, I want to kind of back up and talk about your guys' background, right? So Paige, we'll kind of start with you. Maybe start from chapter one and then go up until today. So without going back too far, um, in high school, I had an amazing opportunity to spend half my days in high school, my senior year, um, uh, working in a preschool. And there was a child on the autism spectrum, and I was fascinated by the way that his brain developed and how he learned, and he's such a smart little kid. And so I always knew I was going to go into psychology, mastered in psychology, got my MA, got became a licensed professional clinical counselor, and then had this amazing opportunity right after graduate school to start working with children with autism. And I thought, ah, I'll do it for a couple months. And then I fell in love, and I've never left and never wanted to leave. Nice. Um, going back to, to school, where did you go to school at? So my undergraduate degree was at the University of Kansas, and my graduate degree was at Roosevelt University. Okay. Um, and then I actually got my BCBA, so Board Certified Behavior Analyst. I did that coursework at Florida Institute of Technology. Okay. Nice. Was that in Florida then? I wish. Um, I was living in Minnesota. <laughs> it was all online. It would so much better if I could have been in Florida. Yes, I can imagine. I can imagine. So after school, what was your first job in the field? Literally fresh out of graduate school, I started working in um, as a behavior therapist with children with autism. Okay. Um, in graduate school and college, I was a nanny. Okay. I've always loved working with children. Nice. Um, and I mean, think you kind of have to, right? Yeah, you do. <laughs> For this job. <laughs> you really do. Um, and as soon as I got the job, I it just it felt right. Nice. So, and nice. stuck with it. Cool. And then you did that for a while and then moved into this, or was there something in between? Yeah, so I slowly progressed. So within that company, I was a behavior therapist for, I want to say, like two and a half years while I worked on supervision hours to get my licensure. Mm-hmm. And then once I completed that, I got my license and the company, I had been moved up to a supervisor, and then I got moved into the licensed mental health professional role. So doing diagnostic assessments, 
overseeing the treatment, creating the treatment plan, all that fun stuff. And I did that for a number of years for that company. Okay. And then I switched and did it with a different company for a couple of years. And then Camille and I decided to take a risk and open our own business together. And here we are two years later. And you met Camille before you opened the... the first company that I worked so, okay. in. We worked together for... I was there nine years, and I'd say on and off, we worked together for nine years, and the last six and a half, we worked very closely together. We ran a center together. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And you guys started to, decided to partner up and join force and start a business. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Cool. Uh, Camille? Yeah. So I grew up with my cousin who had special needs, and so I took care of her most of her childhood. Um, and just loved doing that. I was always with her. I went to summer school with her. I would step in anytime I could when I was in school and I'd see her. I'd try to get involved in her class. And so I knew that was kind of the path I wanted to take. Um, then I moved to the Twin Cities in 2001 and met my first child with autism. And I was the nanny at that house and loved it. Like that was, that was it. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to do something with kids with autism. Um, and I got a phone call from somebody that had worked in the field of ABA and it was a mom and she just said, Hey, I've heard about you. You've worked with some of the people that work at my home. I'd love for you to come over and try this. So I did. And that was it. That's when I decided, all right, this is it. I'm going to do this. Um, I got into this program because I had 6,000 hours of experience with mm -hmm. my, through the nanny job and through working with my cousin and just from a variety of different jobs related to working with kids with special needs okay. I don't have a degree in in this field but mm -hmm. the hours are what got okay. me um, approved to do that and so in 2002 2003 I got the official approval um, and I've been doing it ever since I was actually Paige's supervisor for a little while and then she went and got all those letters and then became my supervisor <laughs> and one up to you huh? and, we, and we just we just got along really well we just understand it we really get what each other is thinking so it worked out well for us and you mentioned ABA what is that so that's applied behavior analysis that okay. is this the theory of around what we do what we how we teach our programming for our kids um, and um, yeah that was kind of that's everything that you went to school for mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's basically that concept of if you do this you get a reinforcement so it goes back to Skinner okay. and forever ago and it's just teaching reinforcement and people mm -hmm. always think it can be negative but I mean people go to work because they get paid right right yep. um, people do good in school because they want that good feeling or their mom promised them ice cream if they get straight A's like mm -hmm. that's all different forms of reinforcement and motivation and so we just find what motivates the kids and kind of shape it when possible to more sure uh, realistic natural living reinforcements absolutely a lot of what we do is just breaking it down so that these kids are more successful. And so yep. once they gain that success, we're able to adjust it and make it more, like Paige said, more appropriate for any day activities. A lot of parents say, what? when are you gonna stop using visual schedules with my child? And I said, when you stop using your phone, mm -hmm. when you stop using your checklist, that's, it's the same thing, just a different way. Just so, a different way of doing it. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's probably like a, a framework, right? But then each kid has his own individual plan yes. based on his, you know, his circumstances. So yeah. 
kind of like training, you know, trying to nutrition. Everyone has their own motivations, their own goals, their own way of learning. So you try and you try and relate to them and what they need, and then try and build up from there. So it's so true. In any field, it has to be tailored to yep. that person, that client, the company, whatever it is. It's it's all tailored to what yeah. That and that's where you're gonna find the most success is when it's customized, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. You formed Minnesota Behavior Specialists in what year? 2020. March of, yeah, March of 2020. March of 2020. That March sounds 1st. familiar. Yeah. <laughs> so, we, so right in the thick of it. Yeah, we, this, like our site wasn't even open yet. We were working from like Panera and Perkins and like coffee shops. And, and then on March 17th, you know, the world shut down. Yep. So we became stay-at-home parents who did distant learning. Um, it was horrible. Yep, it, fun, it had some fun good times. ones some bad ones. <laughs> um, and the state couldn't approve us because they had to approve everyone with telemedicine. Sure. So what should have taken like 30 to 60 days took six months. Hmm. So we didn't reopen our doors till September 6th, right after Labor Day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Next. and that was kind of like the running theme because we were trying to get approved through a variety of insurance companies mm-hmm. and they nobody was available to approve anything during that time mostly because of the telemedicine across all medical fields but um it just kind of we we couldn't go anywhere we couldn't do anything so it just kind of sort of stopped us in our tracks so i could do just the behind the scenes type of stuff and yeah. you know whatever else um what made you guys decide to start your own business so about a, a little bit before we opened, um, we had been at happy hour with friends and they constantly It's all where it like, starts. It is. It's so true. <laughs> and Camille and I have always had that, like, we don't necessarily have to communicate to communicate. We know mm-hmm. what the other one's thinking and we work well as a team together. And they're like, when are you guys going to open up your own business? I'm like, ha ha, very funny. And I called my dad on the drive home and I was talking to him about something and I told him about it. He's like, yeah. I figured you guys would open your own business and I could help set it up. I'd be like the CFO. And he had this whole game plan. I was like, I got to call you back. Sure. And I called her. <laughs> what do you think? She's like, really? I was like, yeah. And that was a it. year before? This was a year yeah. before we actually okay. started. Yeah. So we started brainstorming and my dad's a pretty tough CFO. He was like, you need a PowerPoint presentation to bring to banks. Sure. You need like a monthly business plan, all that stuff. Business yeah. plan for the first year and then quarterly for the second year and like super detailed, but it was great because yeah. then we like knew exactly where we needed mm-hmm. to be to keep going. Yeah, my sister laughed at us because she works in a bank and she was like, I have never seen a PowerPoint laid out like this. <laughs> we're asking to start a company. <laughs> and we were like, we're ready. We're ready. So they took us pretty seriously, but... Uh, but it was awesome. I mean, her dad has helped us with all that business aspect that we would have no idea. We can do anything with the kids. We have no idea how to run a company. Yeah, I mean, and my dad owned a business for almost thirty years. Okay, so he gets the financial side and the the back end stuff. Oh yeah, and before that, he did like budgeting for Fortune fifty companies sure. and stuff. So it's a nice guy to have in your corner. It is a really nice guy to have in your corner. <laughs> um. So. When you started this um, in the middle of COVID, mm-hmm. right, and then doors opened in September mm-hmm. in this facility, mm-hmm. yep, this first facility. All right, how how did you did how did you guys get business? Right, was it right away? Did it take a while to kind of ramp up? Yeah. So during COVID, we started having um, families reach out to us. And okay. So 
we did accept intake packets and we just told them we're on a holding pattern until we hear from the state. Mm-hmm. All of our funding is done through insurance. Okay. So we had to wait until we got that piece taken care of, um, but we still brought in those intake packets. So we mm-hmm. just kept updating these families as they would go, as the time would go, still waiting, still waiting. So we had about six, seven different clients that were ready to start okay. as soon as we could get approved. And so we were kind of preparing for the day, knowing it was coming. Mm-hmm. It oddly helped in a way. Um, I think it made us even more ready to open our doors versus sitting there. For Having like that six months, months you mean? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sucked in a moment. Sure. We just want to get started. Yeah. yeah. It, I think it helped a lot and it helped us actually get ready to get staff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to be the first staff at a new company is like, oh God, that's scary. But to be like, no, we already have five kids on our wait list and we're already looking to hire like four people yep. is a much more like comforting feeling for those people. Yeah. We started getting some applicants in April, May. And so we kind of right after, on the same thing. Yeah, like, they had hey, to wait for a while. We've got your application, but we can't do anything. Yeah. So we were also ready on that with that piece. So that was really nice to have as well. Nice. And then with the staff members, do you all do this work in clients' homes, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, so is each staff member assigned a family and they stay with that family to kind of keep consistency or is it, do they move around a little bit? They move around. So okay. each client that we have, depending on their hours, has typically like four to six staff on their regular team. Okay. So if they're a full-time kid, they might have one staff Monday morning, one Tuesday afternoon, or sorry, Monday afternoon, Tuesday morning, a different staff, Tuesday afternoon, a different staff, maybe on Wednesday, a different one comes back. So yep. the staff will typically go like two to three times a week to the home. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're part-time, they're going to have less staff on their team, but we sure. also train other people because it's so important for these kids to learn from a variety of people. Mm-hmm. It'd be great to say, like, hey, your kid goes to school, and for four years they have one teacher, they never have a sub, they never have a different specialist, but it doesn't work that way. Yeah, so you have for sure. to learn from a variety of people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not just getting so, like, used to one person, that person leaves, it's like, now what? But getting probably different perspectives on people and, you know, related to their different emotions, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it really helps with that social piece too. Being able to be more socially uh, across a variety of people um, and adjust faster to those having Mm -hmm. new people. So each of our kids gets anywhere from, I mean, we have one child that gets like seven hours a week. um, And then we have some kids that get the full time 35, 37 hours a week. Okay. So it really is dependent on those initial assessments to determine where do we start? Yep. And what do we? How many hours is recommended for each child? Mm-hmm. So when you get a new client in, there is like an initial assessment that you go, they go through. Is that like yeah. in person? Is that with just kid? Is it with the parents? How does that work? Mm-hmm. So it's in person. We have the parent and the client first come here. So we see how they do in a novel environment with novel people. Mm-hmm. And what will typically happen is me or the other licensed mental health professional will meet with the parent, get some updated information, talk through things with them, while the clinical team, it might be Camille or some of our other clinical team, might do a play-based assessment. So seeing how do they respond to play, how do they do with following instructions, getting baseline information. Um, And then I'll usually go observe for a bit, and then we do a second one in the home in their Mm. natural environment where they're super comfortable 
because you get to see different kids in both situations. Sure. But it's important to know how they act in different situations. Mm-hmm. So then we go out, do more testing, more baselines, see how they do there. And then we, I type up an assessment that kind of confirms the diagnosis of autism or might make a referral for something else. Uh, and then the clinical team works on that treatment plan, and then I help with that as well. So okay. during the assessment, we saw this, so let's add this program. It's very, very individualized. So yep. rarely are we going to have two kids that have the exact same treatment plan. Right. It's based off what the kid needs to work on and what the family would like to work mm, on as well. Okay. Yeah. And between Paige, myself, and the rest of the clinical team, we have over 50 years of experience. So we do not have a very... We do not have a specific curriculum we utilize. We utilize really everybody's knowledge. Sure. So we go in there with, let's try this, let's try this, let's try this. And through that, we decide, oh, this isn't going to work. Let's try some of this. And then we bring those, after those assessments are done in the office, we talk about it before we go into the home so we can decide which route should we go. Um, Sometimes you can't look at, this is what a typical three-year-old does because with autism, the, the areas are so varied. Sometimes they're way up high in certain mm-hmm. skills and way down low in certain skills, but you won't know that until you're doing programming sure. with them. Yep. And then is there like a, a follow or like a like a reassessment, like a progress check every so often, or is it? Every six months, six we months? update the okay. treatment plan. Okay. We're constantly going in. I love data. I'm like a weird data person, <laughs> and I don't believe that you can have knowledge without data. Mm-hmm. So we're constantly getting that data, graphing that data, determining progress, modifying as needed. Yep. But every six months, we fully update the That's RTD. the formal reassessment type thing? Um, we do a reassessment. It used to be required every year. Okay. But it's really hard to be like, hey, your diagnosis has changed in sure. a year. So when it comes to the diagnosis piece, you can do the reassessment every three years or sooner if needed. Because mm-hmm. um, it's... Progress takes time, and like yep. yes, you see significant changes, but mm-hmm. when you do standardized testing and things like that, it, you don't show the progress, and it's not necessarily a good representation of the kid. Yep. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Yeah, the supervisors that are in the home are constantly doing that data collection, and yeah. so that is really the the piece that we look at when they come in for supervision and, and see are we making progress in these programs? We look at every program that the team is focusing on and make sure that there's actual progress occurring. If there's not, how do we break it down to help them be more successful? Because we really wanna make sure that they're getting rewarded for all the things that they're doing correct Mm -hmm. versus constantly feeling like, this is so hard. We don't want it to be, we always say, if you walk into a therapy session and you're not having fun, neither is that child. And so we (laughs) really have to adjust to make sure that we're doing the right programming for that, for each child. Nice. And you guys probably see, like, hear from the parents, too, like, on progress or, you know, lack thereof or whatever, but it's always probably good feedback to hear from them, too, so. Um, so it being Autism Awareness Month, talk a little bit about what autism exactly is. Because I don't think a lot of people really know. Um, autism is a spectrum disorder, so it okay. encompasses so much. When we were growing up, it wasn't really like that there was autism and so you're looking for these really significant impairments or you might have Asperger's that Mm -hmm. um, much less impacted throughout all areas of their life but still there or there was also PDD NOS so pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified it's a long name for basically saying that their symptoms don't impact all areas of their life Mm -hmm. Um, 
but the thing is, it's they now kind of lumped it together as a spectrum. So you could have things ranging from a child who is nonverbal and really struggles to engage in the outside world, all the way to a kid who you're like, wait, are they really on the spectrum? Oh, okay, now I watched them for like three hours, and I totally get it. They like kept it together. They worked really hard to do this, mm-hmm. but now I'm starting to see some of those pieces. Okay. The criteria that we look for in the diagnosis are delays in social communication. So it could be a language delay, or it mm-hmm. could be struggling to have back and forth conversations, or I only talk about what I like. I love trains, and I only talk about trains. And if you're okay. not talking about trains, I'm not listening to you. Yeah. Um, that social piece too. So some kids might have a desire, but don't know how to shape their behaviors to engage with other kids. So they might be like, going back to the trains, why are we not playing with trains? No, mm-hmm. I don't want to play with cars. Who cares about cars? Why would you like cars? It's just about trains. Yeah. You should come play with me. Do this with me. All the way to kids having no interest in people around them. Um, very much kind of in their own world. Some kids, they'll engage in kind of the scripting. So they'll repeat lines from a movie or things that mm-hmm. they've heard. And it's almost like they're like acting it out inside of their head. They're just rewashing it again and again. Okay. We also look at that repetitive behavior. Um, and that sensory need, are they lining toys up? Do they need deep pressure? Do they hate physical touch? Do they struggle with eye contact? Mm-hmm. Is the toilet flushing so loud that it like physically hurts them? So there are all those pieces that we're looking at, but there's the saying, if you've met one kid with autism, you've met one kid with autism. Yeah. They're all so different. Sure. And the thing is, they're all amazing. Their mm-hmm. brain works a little different than other people's might, but they are still amazing and when you get to know them and you see their skills you're like oh my god you are so smart it's just so cool to watch Mm -hmm. and so we just learned this it's autism acceptance month they've changed it from autism awareness month and we actually announced it as autism awareness month and started seeing all this autism acceptance and so we were starting to try to understand what the difference was Mm -hmm. um but it's really getting that information out there and accepting that they're going to be a little bit different that they're going to do things differently or need added supports or need um special tools to accomplish things and so being okay accepting that is more what this month is really representing now and so i thought that was kind of cool we just learned this a couple weeks ago nice well that's good to know (laughs) yeah because it is and i think I know Paige and my kids, we, they get a lot of opportunity spending time with kids with disabilities, um, not necessarily the ones we work with, but just because of who we are and the people we know. And they've all learned how to play with them and how to engage them, get them engaged with them. Um, and I think that's a really big thing. And yeah. that's kind of one of our big goals at this company is how can we, we're always working with the siblings too, like how can we help you understand your brother or your sister is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that they're not okay or they're not cool. Let's find out how they are and let's, yeah. let's, let's accept the things that they can do really good and let's work through the things that they struggle with and why they struggle. So it's a kind of a cool piece to look at. Interesting. Uh, so so autism is kind of more in the, the social spectrum more than like physical, even though it can be physical is with like the hearing of the the toilet or like loud noises so that sensory piece not necessarily every kid has Mm -hmm. that sensory piece but for a lot they do and so 
there's some really amazing books out there by authors who are adults uh, who are on the spectrum and can explain it. But like one person, for example, said, I can't look into someone's eyes and focus on what they're saying. It's too much sensory sure. input okay. at once. It's just overload. So they look at their forehead or yep. above them or things like that to help with those pieces. So sometimes it's just it all processes differently. So there's that sensory piece, but not necessarily mm-hmm. for everyone. But yeah, it's not a physical piece. It's not like they can't walk, they can't talk. Yep. They might have some, some kids have some fine motor difficulties. There are some kids that might have some muscle difficulties as well. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you do have kids who only do things a certain way, then their body struggles to maybe build those muscles up. So for example, the W sit is so common with kids on yep. the spectrum. Part of the thing is by the time you start correcting it, it's like, but no, now I've, I've developed this way. My body balances this way and I'm not an OT. They can explain it so much better sure. all those pieces, but really working on that piece. Um, that's where occupational therapy comes in. Okay. But yes, it's much more like social, uh, communication, mm-hmm. those struggling to communicate, find ways to communicate things so that it might come out in challenging behaviors. So I can't tell you in the words to explain why yep. that noise makes me want to tear something into pieces. So I'm just going to tear it into pieces and then I'm going to show you mm-hmm. because this is my way of communicating. <laughs> so sometimes you get those challenging behaviors because they're like, but I can't, I can't express to you why I feel this way. Yep. Interesting. So if you are a new parent and you suspect that your child may have autism um, or be autistic, what is a process to getting a diagnosis and where, where would you go? It's really hard for process. I'm not going to lie. There's <clears throat> such a provider shortage in Minnesota. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Start with your pediatrician. Okay. Definitely start with them. They are going to be able to have those referrals. And if you feel like your pediatrician isn't listening, make them listen. Try mm-hmm. a different pediatrician. Start calling around to places. A lot of places for a full psychological evaluation have really long wait lists, and it's okay. heartbreaking. Um, one of the places I can't even remember what it is, but a huge place, a big hospital. I think they had to shut their wait list down because it's two years long. Yeah. So does have, that have to do with? I think you mentioned this with yeah. COVID not having people come in, and now it's just like backlogged or it could I don't okay. I don't know I also know that there's a higher need of people looking for it okay. so I think we're catching it younger plus there are more people that are on the spectrum now than used to be and there's I don't want to say why and mm-hmm. there's a lot of research and hopefully they'll keep doing more research to figure it out but it's so many pieces that go into play um, yeah and I know like the staffing shortage right now has yeah. been a huge piece to it I know um, there's a lot of companies struggling to be able to take on more clients because they don't have staff mm-hmm. that just don't have that opportunity um, i do think COVID had a big piece to it because a lot of families didn't send their kids to kindergarten when it was distance learning yeah. because they were like we don't even know where to start and so they waited and we actually had a school district a, a nurse that does the um, initial assessments and she came and talked to us and said oh my gosh i need the need is so intense now because of all these kids that didn't get into yeah. school. Um, and she said, you, you just would have no idea that all of these kids need so much more help now that they haven't had that year of school. And so um, I think those are the, you've got all of those typical kids struggling and then all of the kids that have special needs mm-hmm. are that much farther kind 
Yeah, it was a tough year for everyone, I think, especially. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine having a kid with special needs and trying to do it, yeah, you know, yeah. and then being a parent, having to keep working and all yeah. that stuff. It'd be hard. Yeah. Um, is there like a, like a age range where the diagnosis is more common? Like you start to see things more? Okay. Oh, my child isn't talking as much as other kids. Or okay. They're not looking when I walk in the room. Those pieces. Um, we also get a lot of that, like seven, eight-year-old mm-hmm. when they're in school, and it's like the school might start to notice, hey, these other kids are developing socially, and this child isn't. Um, and honestly, sometimes you even get ones it hits puberty, and you're in middle school, and you're going through all that stuff, and it's like, wait a second. Something isn't right here. Something there's just a little something missing. Yeah. So it it can range. We get phone calls from adults too, like, "Hey, I think I'm on the autism spectrum. Um, okay. Can you assess me? Where do I go? What do I do?" Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's not as common. But yeah. Yeah, and if you don't know what you're looking for, if you're not like before I came to the Twin Cities, I had never met a child with autism. I didn't know anything about it. Right. So I would know to be looking for signs, and if it's your first child. How would you do everything to compare to? Yeah. And so it's I do know at your early checkups now with your pediatrician, they do ask those questions. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like that started probably seven or eight years ago because I remember with my daughter, they did not ask those questions. And with my son who's almost ten, they did start asking those questions. And so it's pretty early on now, and I think doctors are just more aware to ask mm-hmm. the right questions too. Yeah, I think we have ours on a, que- on a questionnaire. Yeah, like when yeah. you check in right away, the yeah. questionnaire is like check yes or no and then yeah. go from there. So I suppose if you... They get all the behavioral questions, all right. the social questions, yep. all of that out of the way right away. Yep. So if you are a new parent or a parent with a newly diagnosed child, where what do you do? Where do you start? Yeah, we were just talking about this. You get... Once you can go get that initial recommendation for getting um, a diagnosis, you get on every wait list. You get on Mm -hmm. all the wait lists that you can possibly get on. Um, And we recommend that for every service because you never know when they could just slip you in. Now is that wait list for specialists or for companies like you guys? That's for getting a diagnosis. Getting a diagnosis, okay. Yeah, so getting a diagnosis, and that's kind of what Paige was talking about, is some of those big hospitals have had to cut down their wait lists. Um, And they're starting to only take kids going forward like under three years of age of younger because that need is so focused so much um but get on those lists as soon as you get that diagnosis then you follow then you get all these recommendations Mm -hmm. and so we really encourage to ask the questions find out what these recommendations mean and then and then follow those recommendations okay um i know Paige said also if you if you aren't comfortable with the the um assessment get a second assessment sure um but typically there's so much information on there and they might have you start with OT, they might have you start with speech. If you can't get into a program like we have right away, there's other things to start and that would be a definite recommendation as well. Also search online. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that Googling things can be like so dangerous and send you sure. down a rabbit hole, but you can, if you know you want ABA therapy, do mm-hmm. a search. ABA therapy near me. It's going to give you like 75% are going to be helpful, 25% are not, but call. We get phone calls all the time. What type of therapy do you do? I want center. Do you have a center? I want in home. Or if you want 
the floor time model, start looking that one up. There's also the Minnesota Department of Human Services has an amazing portal mm -hmm. that literally provides all the different companies, what their okay. current wait lists approximately are, how to get a diagnosis. I don't think people realize what the state has out there, um, mm -hmm. but it's actually really amazing. We've watched as they've like added and worked through it and it's a great resource. Nice. Um, you mentioned ABA again. Is there other treatment plans than just ABA? There are. So there are a bunch that are approved. So most of our kids are through medical assistance or TEFRA because okay. it provides just a lot of extra resources. So um, it can help cover speech, OT, um, therapy, any if you need sensory equipment in your home, or mm -hmm. you have a kid who's a bolter, so you need alarms on the door, or you need a fence in the backyard. All that Did stuff you say can be fun. Bolter, yeah, like you runs. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so it just runs, like takes off. Sure, yeah, that's. I, I put that together once you put the alarm in. <laughs> sorry, yeah. So it kind of just takes off and runs. Um, or if you have um, need adaptive swimming or horseback riding or any of those things, these grants and waivers cover it. Yeah, yeah, cameras put up. PCA, so someone who can come into the home and help them with a lot of their daily living tasks or mm -hmm. respite. So it might be that they go stay somewhere for a couple days to kind of give parents a respite, but also the child. Um, all that stuff can be covered under these grants and waivers. So okay. a lot of our clients are through that. Um, and so that the state that created this, this EIDBI, Early mm -hmm. Intensive Behavioral Developmental Intervention, Okay. that is covered so I think it's like ABA therapy floor time model um, oh gosh there's so there's like five or six of them and I feel horrible that I can't think of them all off the top of my head but there's a bunch of different approaches you mm -hmm. gotta figure out what's best for you what's best for your child it might and, be more of a group type therapy yeah social skills type yeah and that's just probably going around to different companies just yeah. seeing and getting information I suppose huh Yeah. I was talking with a family the other day. I said, listen, it sounds like your kid is doing amazing in school. I don't think a full-time program is necessarily what you need. Yeah. Like, go to school, but maybe a social skills group is something that would be more beneficial. There's a lot of options out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the biggest goals that we've really created at our company is we're not in it to keep those kids for long periods of time. It's an early, intensive program, so we want to get going we want to do intensity right away yeah we can get them in school and get them so they're ready to learn in that environment that's our goal and so mm -hmm. some kids are half day school half day ABA then we like I said we have one kid that he goes to school four days a week we see him one day a week right now yeah um, and then we're able to hopefully bump up hours in the summer for some of these kids to if, if some of them have the chance to go to daycares or are able to go to parks and get out and be with other kids and so we're able to change their hours a little bit in the summer because there's more kids more sure. opportunities so that's really exciting for those kids too nice so you kind of mentioned all the, the grants and programs but is that mostly how all these services are paid for like are any, is anybody paying kind of out of pocket with their insurance or how does that how does that work yeah it's a great question everything um you could be private pay. It can mm -hmm. get expensive. Um, it, insurance companies, 
They all, in theory, kind of cover it, but they don't really. There's a lot of exclusions where mm -hmm. it might not be covered. So there are insurances that do cover it. Not every company is in network. Um, I know we've worked hard with with COVID. It kind of changed the insurance dynamic. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot less of um, insurance companies approving credentialing for people. Cause mm -hmm. like, well, we've been paying up the wazoo for all this other stuff and yeah. so we don't want to so we're, you know that was a challenge we even had a credentialing company helping us and they're like we are seeing this across the nation like it's a big change right now um but insurance can cover it mm -hmm. um and it it really just depends on what the insurance is and what the family can do and what the family wants to do okay so with these grants does that come to you or is that something the, the parents have to look for we try to help Okay. Um, but the parents are going to have to. They're the ones who have to apply for it and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Okay. Yeah. We're help where we we help where we can. Though. Yeah. Yeah, and we really push to get that social worker piece in place because mm -hmm. they're the ones that can really navigate what is going to be the best sure. for their family, um, and then they can typically once they get these grants and waivers, they can decide where that money can go. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, I'm doing a podcast with Positivity Service Dogs in two weeks, I think. And on their site, I think they mentioned they work with, uh, you know, families with autistic children. Do do you find any benefit in having service dogs, or have you seen kids, clients with service dogs, or give um, any experience with that? Some families that have. I do believe I had one that had a service dog. Some have really even just looked into dogs and finding the right fit because mm -hmm. it is really cool to see um, dogs amaze me at how they can adjust to kids and sure. help with things so you know they can definitely be beneficial especially if you have a child that maybe has a dual diagnosis and mm -hmm. they have seizures I know you can have service dogs for that um, a whole variety of things yeah I, I do know one of our families has been on a wait list for four years yeah you were telling me that to get yeah. a dog so I know that's one of the goals that they have if cool. it works for that kid, I would say 100% yeah, go for absolutely. it. For sure. Sleeping problems. I hear yeah. that they're really, really beneficial for those kids that have anxiety around sleeping. Mm. And being able to just kind of stay with them in their bed and yeah. help them. Not my dog. My dog takes up the whole bed. <laughs> I get zero get sleep when he's in my bed. <laughs> so he, he would not be a good service dog. <laughs> Um, going back to the, the sessions, you mentioned, you know, each kid's different, each client is different as far as how many days you see them. Is there like a, do you set a schedule right away once you deliver that service plan, um, like in, on the schedule and stuff? Yeah, so we meet with the families when we're doing that initial assessment and we determine how many hours we think would be beneficial. Mm -hmm. And then once we determine that, we we make a schedule. So the morning sessions are 8.30 to 12.30 and the afternoon sessions are from 1 to 4.30. Okay. So if they're a full-time client, there's a staff in the morning and there's a staff in the afternoon and then they are, are kind of set up that way. If it's all afternoon sessions, it's all 1 to 4.30. Okay. Um, and, and that's so that's the minimum, that, like the eight to twelve thirty, then the one to four thirty. That's like that's if you pretty, pick morning. We, this we is it. One client that goes to school really early in the morning, so we're able to get a couple hours in in the morning still. Yep. Um, but for the most part, it's it's pretty much that set time. But it's okay. it's a very fluid schedule. So if we're like, hey, this kid is ready to start going to school, we might maybe we talk with the school and they're like, okay, let's try one day a week, and so yeah. then that schedule changes. 
So it's always going to be individualized to their needs and the family's needs yeah. within those hour ranges. Okay. We have kids that go to speech, they go to OT. Yep. Collaboration is huge for us. We would never say do not go to speech or do not go right. to OT. We we know they're experts in those areas. Yep. <clears throat> and so we want them to go to those those locations and we actually go with, we observe, we get their feedback and we ask them what can our team focus on? How can we carry those skills over? during our sessions so they're getting it more intense yeah um and we can utilize our strategies to be help them be successful as well nice cool um well i think we're pushing an hour here maybe um is there anything else you guys well actually 39 minutes felt longer a lot of information <laughs> that's good um is there anything else you guys want to let people know about your business things coming up we're really excited. We're we're hoping by the end of the year that we have our first center. Okay. Um, so right now, like you said, we do all in-home services. Um, and, and it's really, really nice to do the in-home piece because you get to see the kids in their environments. Um, every child also receives, uh, the family receives family skills training. So mm -hmm. the supervisors are working with the parents, maybe the siblings, maybe the grandparents, whoever's in that home environment making sure that they understand what we're doing as well. So when we're not there, they can carry those skills over. Um, so that in-home piece is really, really nice. The downside, you have to have an adult there mm -hmm. at all times. And I know that's not always an option for families. Yeah. Um, if, and if meaning like a parent or guardian or something? Yeah, if okay. you have two working parents in the family and right. they can't be home, they can't have a program. Yeah. Um, and so Paige and I have had the opportunity to do in-home. We've also worked in the center and there's huge benefits of having a center where those kids then come to the center. Mm -hmm. They're there for the full day, 8.30 to 4.30. Um, and, and their parents don't have to come. They can go yeah. to work and go do their stuff, but their children still can have that opportunity to learn at that higher intensity rate. And so mm -hmm. our goal is by the end of the year, um, we're looking at locations now, is to have that up and running and um, hopefully move forward with that. Exciting. Yeah. yeah. We also are excited. We do our Facebook Live for yep. the month of April. It's every Friday at noon. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, we're going to go to every other week. But we're really working on bringing on a lot of guests who can talk about for sure. yeah. uh, different experiences or different things they can help with. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, going back to that center um, piece, and you mentioned the spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. Highs and lows it mm -hmm. is the spectrum. When they come to the center, are they paired with other kids? that are on the same area, like with the same like skills and stuff? So our, you know, there might be a range of skills in the building, mm -hmm. but if we are working on a certain social skill that we have another kid working on it, we'll pair them together. Okay. So maybe two kids are learning how to play board games sure. and take turns, so they'll work on it together. Um, or they're both working on reciprocal conversations, so we'll teach them how do you have a conversation about what you want to talk about, but also what your buddy over there wants yeah. to talk about. Um, but we also want to pair them with people who they can be the one who can be like, no, no, I can teach you, mm -hmm. and vice versa. Because it's so important to have that. Like that's what it's like in school. You know, you get to yeah. learn from some kids, but then you also get to be the big fish with the other kids in the pond. That's right? what people so, learn, right? They take it in from someone else, and they teach yeah. it to someone else. Yeah, yeah. Right? and so. I love that learning from other yeah. kids. It's so important. Yeah, mm -hmm. and the nice thing about the center is you can form those groups. And so I know previously we've done like a. Um, 
like gym class where we're teaching different sports activities, working on those big gross motor movements, mm-hmm. um, and trying to get this group of five or six kids all trying to do that same thing. That's a challenge, but yep. um, then they are watching each other and they are are observing what's happening. Or maybe they're learning to use a computer and they're all in the computer room um, following directions, just like they would mm-hmm. in a classroom. Um, so it's another way for us to kind of merge that how to get them ready for school, how yep. to get them ready for that next step. Um, the levels of kids can, I mean, we service kids up to the age of 10. We start them at, up, um, up to the age of 10. So we could have a two-year-old and we could have an eight-year-old sure. all at the center. And so finding things that um, they can do that are similar but mm-hmm. different and okay. kind of meet their needs. Will the center be like the, t- the same hours then? Or will it be like a full day curriculum based so it'll be a full program. day in the sense that it'll be 8 30 okay. to 4 30. okay um uh so for the most part the kids would be there all day yep. every day um but they do get so much i, I don't know, there's amazing pros to in-home and center but mm-hmm. center that social piece that group learning yeah that getting out of your house and learning the different environment it's just amazing mm-hmm. yeah it is it's super exciting um to see that that piece of it and just to see the relationships that get built in those right. environments that they may, maybe wouldn't be able to do in the home setting. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to the home setting with the parents, let's say newly diagnosed child, do you guys provide any sort of support for the parent? Like what do you do when we're not here? Yeah. And that type of thing. Yeah, so we do weekly family skills. So we want to okay. work with the families on um, all of the st- all of the things needed for that we teach our therapists. So we want sure. to teach you reinforcement. We want to teach you how and why to do follow through. Um, so if we say, "Hey, come on over," and that child runs the other way, go get them, mm-hmm. help them come back. Otherwise, they're going to learn. Well, I don't have to listen. Yeah. Um, and so there's things that, as a parent, you are so focused on ten thousand things at the same time, you don't know what areas to stop and look at and to mm-hmm. change or support. So that's really what our job is, is to come cool. in there and help you. We want to know what are your goals as a family. Me and Paige each have goals for us as a family, but our families, but they're probably very different. And so we have to understand as a family what your goals are and then focus on how to shape those goals during those family skills sessions. So if you want to teach your child how to get dressed, but the other person wants to teach their child how to be more social, we're going to be teaching very different mm-hmm. skills during those times. And so. Um, we start at the beginning and we really work towards all of those strategies and techniques and then really focus on the areas that that family's shooting for. We have one family, the, the parent just wants their child to walk past the pond. Don't jump oh, in the pond. lake, oh. just walk past. <laughs> so for family skills, they walk past the pond. Mm. And um, the safety piece is such a big concern. Yeah. If you watch the news ever, the stories yeah. that come out, kids wandering off into cornfields, into the water, and they're not that's why we teach them to respond to their name because mm-hmm. they don't necessarily respond. They're like, ah, I don't, I don't need whatever you yeah. think. I'm going to keep going this way. So really working on like that stop, that wait, responding to your right. name, those safety pieces are so important. Yeah, the other piece that we really focus on is communication. If you don't have a tool to communicate, some kids are not verbal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we might have a communication device. We have to teach them how to communicate 
otherwise that's extremely frustrating and I always think when I was in France and I was trying to ask for something and none of them I was like I don't know what to do (laughs) pointing to pictures um that's what we want to make sure they Mm -hmm. know how to do is if you need something then we want to give you a tool to be able to to tell us what that is because sometimes we had we had one child that wanted uh, he, he requested for it on his device which he had just got but it was like a red Elmo phone blue it said something like that and I was like what is he talking about and the mom goes oh my gosh we have a little blue red Elmo phone in the basement in the bucket I was like sure enough I went and got it and he was like Woo-hoo! And, he was, and I was like can you think about what was happening in his mind before he typed that because yeah. that's so who would have I would never have known so most likely they would respond by crying or being mm-hmm. frustrated or throwing themselves to the floor because they can't tell you what they feel yeah. or how, how they, what they want. Um, so that's a really big piece to those behaviors is making sure they can communicate effectively. Cool. Um, physical activity. Do you find any benefits to keeping the kids active in like a structured class or program or something like that? Yes. Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, I, I worked with one kid, literally 10 minutes out of every hour, we were like, you just have to run them in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Some of these kids are totally chill to sit there, but then we want to get them moving, right? We want to get that physical activity. It's so important. And the other kids just need that constant physical sensory input. Yeah. And giving them that physical activity and that way to let it out to get that like pressure that they need. Like. Mm-hmm kids stomping up and down you might think they're mad but really they need that like just to move a little bit so what sort of like exercise can you give them that will meet that need but doesn't result in them repeatedly stomping in the same place yeah well i know we've talked about kids and devices and kids and tv yeah i feel like with kids with autism it amplifies it's like that much more so they sit for 20 minutes just staring at a device you cannot pull them back in and so Mm -hmm. we really focus on get rid of that stuff yeah. And get them out doing big body movements. Get outside. Go ride the bike. Go play at the playground. Um, and their focus is so much more effective when we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, aren't we all? Like, Everyone's focused. You know, I work yeah. out afterwards. I'm like, I'm ready to take out a day. For sure. Focused. I got my attention. Yeah. It's the same thing for them. Like, mm-hmm. they need it just because they have a diagnosis doesn't mean they shouldn't be getting that same piece that everybody else needs. And we talk yeah. to families too about it on the weekends making sure there is some kind of structure built in during their day that will just help even out their whole day. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have a plan, don't have structure, um, don't have some activities built in, then it just turns crazy. Yeah. Um, and then everybody's like, ah! so it's, it's crucial. Nice. So that'll probably be uh, in the center. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's so important. It's yeah. so important. There's cool. a reason kids have gym at school. We, we have a gym. We've yeah. already, like, that's one of the requirements for yeah. the center is where's the gym going to be? Where's it gonna I know. I looked at one site. I was like, there's nowhere for a gym. Where's like, the gym? We can't do this. Yeah. Like, how do you live without physical activity? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wish elementaries or schools in general had more gym instead right. of once every three days or something yeah. like that. But at least they have recess. Yeah. So. Yeah. But. And that we would do too. Like so, for the kids, they'll it'll they'll get you know their lunchtime, and then they'll get just kind of a free time outside where they are focusing on social skills and running around and, and being kids because that's yeah a, that's a crucial part of every child. Everyone needs that. Absolutely. Adults, for sure. 
Well, cool guys. Uh, again, thanks for having me over here and yeah. learn about what you do. Um, it's very informative. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. No problem. Anytime. All right. Take care.